Hi, this is Panel Beater and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page. I am Dr. Doolittle. Joining me today, so many people. First up, my co-host today. That's you, Mel. Don't give me this look. He's giving me this look of, of WTF. He's giving me a WTF. I can swear because it's my last show. Thanks for mm. me off the air. Who cares? Um, Mel's joining me in the studio. He's right there. Say good day. Good day. How are you, man? Good, mate. We haven't done a show together for about oh, 17 years. I know. <laughs> Let's get back to that, though, because let you know what they say? Stick a pin in it. Stick a pin in it because I want to introduce everyone else. Um, he's here, though, because, uh, goodness, about 20 years ago or so, he invited me to – oh, no, maybe not that long. I think 15 years ago you invited me to be part of the show, mm. and I've been here ever since until I retired, which is this week. And uh, what else was I going to tell you? He's also here because it's the last show, but mm. also in the studio, Dr. Cyber Sue or Nurse Cyber Sue, what do I call you? Well, anyway, uh, me. Yeah, g'day, Cyber Sue. <laughs> How are you? I am absolutely excellent, and I'm in, in awe of all the Melbourne marathoners that I had to traipse through to get here. I know. I got, a, yeah. I got an anxious text from you saying, oh, I'm running late. I know. We're not really running. I wish I was running in some ways, but I was on my motorbike. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, that should have been easy. Oh, well, yes. Dodge between them. We've also got a whole cast of people. Oh, we've got panel beat in the studio. I don't know if we can hear you yet, panel beaters. If you're there, say good day. Otherwise, we'll say good day later. You might be still organising. Let's go to the others then, just in case while he's getting organised, because he's at Triple R, but in a separate studio. We're still very COVID safe here. On the Zoomer, on the little Zoomer, we have, who am I going to say hello to first? Trainer Wheels. G'day. She's just Good morning. Un- she's just unmuted. How are you, Doolittle? I was just hoping that, you know, just for one last time, you'd start speaking and I'd say, you're on mute. And you go, oh, sorry. Someone <laughs> always does it every meeting. Um, I think it's always me as well. Anyway, uh, who else am I going to say good day to? Dr. Patient. I can see you, Dr. Patient. Good morning. G'day, man. How are you? I am A-OK. I am so bummed I can't be there in human form today, but it's so good to be here. It's, it's, it's the last one for you, Steve. What are we going to do? Well, you, you can just imagine me. What you can do is every time you think of me, imagine me sitting on a beach somewhere. Someone said on Facebook with a Mai Tai. I don't know what it is, but I'll try. I think it's, it's obviously a cocktail. I know that much. I just don't know what's in it. Because um, that's essentially my plan is just to bum around for 20, 20 years or until. <laughs> I keep saying that's it. Sounds- I don't want to jinx myself by saying I'll live 20 years and then tomorrow uh, getting sick. And we've also got Dr. Spock all the way live from Sydney. Hey, man. How are you? Doolittle, everyone. What is the Good weather like up there in Sydney? Give us a bit of a report so that we know what it's like outside Melbourne because half of Victoria haven't left Victoria for the last uh, couple, last year. <laughs> Tell yeah, us what it's well, like. Is Sydney's the bridge up, still there? Is the Opera House still open? Someone, <laughs> yesterday I bumped into someone from work um, who was, has come up for this weekend as I was walking doing the uh, – I did the Bondi to Coogee walk yesterday, which was awesome. Oh, that's a beautiful. I've, I've, in fact, done that walk with you before. We did that we walk about eight years ago. You've probably forgotten because you don't have a sharp memory like me. You're not as young and youthful and sharp as, as I'm. And not as good looking either. Oh, that's don't tell right. him that. That's <laughs> your last show. We can say what we like. <laughs> Hey, anyway, it's good to see you all. Um, we've also got a couple of guests coming on. We have Tara Gannon from the Western and Central Melbourne Integrated Cancer Service who's going to talk about a website called Cancer Mind Care about psychological support for people with cancer. We're going to get to uh, Tara in about 15 minutes. And all things being equal, I've texted her. She's not answering. Catherine Devney's also <laughs> due on at about half past 10 to uh, chat about some writing um, videos she made for Peter Mac. Um, I probably should get, I'll give you all a heads up straight away. Conflict of interest alert. Um, I was involved with both of those projects, but I'll tell you more later. Um, you know, it's my last show, so I'm clearing out all the shows that I'm meant to do during the year and whatnot not before I disappear. Hey, uh, let's get on to general chit-chat. How are you all, guys? Um, Mel? Do you know one of the – I was just reflecting. One of the reasons that you and I uh, decided to go and have our separate shows was because we're both incredibly talkative and every single second whilst you were talking, I was going to jump in and say something and I had to really pull myself back. And we are both very, very much chatterboxes, so – it's your show today. It's it's been a great. I think it's been seventeen years since you've been on the show. Two thousand and four would be about when you came on. You know what? I've got it on my 
computer, but it's on, I, I meant to look it up in, this morning, but I forgot that it's not on Dropbox. It's in my old computer at home. I'll look it up, but it's about there. I think you came on to Triple R the same time that Fran Kelly came on to ABC, and you're both retiring yeah. at the same time. And similar trajectories. Co- similar, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Similar influence on the community. Exactly. And so it's, you know, and, you know, I was reflecting how uh, your media career has just really, it's really, really good. You've done TV, you've done uh, morning TV, you've done a, a series on SBS, you've done um, commercial radio, uh, ABC radio, you've had your own show there. But the highlight, obviously, was Triple R, and it's been the one consistency through your entire media career has been Triple R. And what a joy that's been for everybody, you know. And you know, people people will often say to me, "Hey, you know, I caught radiotherapy last week." I go, "Great, what was it like?" And they say, "Well, the only reason we listen is for Doctor Doolittle." So you've brought a whole lot of new listeners into the radio station as well. So thank you so much for doing that. It's very kind of you to say those words. I'm sure they're not true. You know, but it, you know, I, I, I actually said this. I did an interview for the Trip magazine this week, you know, for the, my thing, but uh, for leaving. But um, it got, you know, got me thinking. The way I got started, and you know this um, mm. malpractice, but the way I got started was I used to listen to Triple R, and then I started listening to radiotherapy on Sunday mornings, of course, back, you know, back in the day, you know, years into listening to it. And I kept thinking... God, I know that voice. God, I know that voice. Because um, Mel and I went to school together and we were really good mates at school. But then at the end of our time together at school, um, Mel went to Monash and I went to Melbourne and we stayed friends for the first year. The second year we fell apart a bit. Third year we just lost track. Mm. Nothing happened. Mm. We just drifted apart. Mm. And then we sort of didn't really, you know, cross paths except for this one weird phone call that we still debuted dispute who rang who but somehow we got a cross line one of us picked up the phone to ring someone and out of the blue um you know one of us says to the other i know that voice who are you you know it was a wrong number i thought it was me at the austin trying to ring one of the wards and all of a sudden you answer the phone you say no i'm it's i'm at the alfred and it's like it was a weird cross number anyway and we're literally after Four or five years of not talking, having seen each other, we're chatting on the phone in the most bizarre circumstances. And then not long after that, about a couple of years after that, I went. I moved from the Austin to the Alfred. and uh, You became my boss. Yeah, I actually <laughs> went to the Alfred and became Rob's boss because he was, you know, doing – you were doing endless PhDs and study. He did, like, psychiatry training, child staining, a PhD, whereas I just, you know – whizzed through shortest shortest distance that I could. And so I all of a sudden found myself as his boss and, you know, it didn't take him long to learn my coffee order and all that sort of stuff. And he did quite, you know, anyway, cut a long story short, he invited me on the show. Took me about two years to come on though because I was too scared. Remember? That was the amazing thing, that like, you were reluctant. And the amazing thing is you and I do lots of public speak engagements together. Where you're, I mean, you're never shy to get in front of an audience. And yet it took you a while to drag you onto the show and then the monster was unleashed. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I always get nervous. I don't, look, it's funny. I remember early on you said to me once, where I, we'll stop crapping on about this every in a second, team. But once Rob said, um, Mel Practice said to me early on, he said, you know, when I flick on the microphone, my pulse doesn't even rise one beat. It just stays the same. I don't feel nervous at all. Whereas, you know, I would not sleep very well the night before and before the shows are. Once it's going, I'm as good as gold. Mm. But before, whereas having done it now for about 15 years, I'm the same as you. I don't even, you know, I don't reckon my pulse goes up. But it still does public speaking. Anyway, let's get around to a few things. What did we promise to do? Let me see. I've got a running order here somewhere. Can I just Um, say, whilst you're looking for your running order, I reckon, you know, in the 43 years that we've known each other, never once have we had an argument. And I reckon 99.9% of the time we've agreed with each other's arguments. I was just thinking about this the other day. We've never – there's a few little sort of things that we disagree on, but mostly we agree – and um, there's never once been a conversation where you haven't mentioned toilet humour, and it still cracks me up. So, you know, things have been the same. As, I, as I've said many times, I've never heard a fart in my whole life that I haven't laughed at. In my whole life. I just find it funny. I don't know what it is. I'm a child. Um, how, how are you, you going to deliver uh, live on radio today, Steve? No. 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 You know, not. I know of somebody. I haven't met them myself. So Training wheels? Yeah, verify. go on. Yeah. There's someone that is a peripheral associate of mine who does not find farts funny. Oh, and I just can't believe it. I think if if there comes a time in my life where farts are no longer funny, <clears throat> I may well die because there's no point living anymore. <laughs> I can't remember the disorder, but you could look it up in DSM. It's a character in DSM. There's a disorder, whereas if you don't find farts funny, it's a particular personality <laughs> disorder. You know, it's it's fartus minimus lack of humorous or something. It's in DSM. It's a psychiatric diagnosis. Oh, it's in Latin. Yeah, it's, it's true. 
tradable. It's tradable. You treat it antidepressants. You treat everything with antidepressants. They don't work. Don't work like everything else, but it's tradable. Hey, exposure um, therapy? Not, not immersion therapy. Ex- exposure therapy? No. <laughs> yeah. Flooding. Okay, we're going to get off this topic because really, really, really. But you know why we don't argue, by the way? Because you're we, always right. No, we'll, whenever we get even slightly angry with each other, you immediately stop calling me Steve and start calling me Stephen. You always say Stephen. And, oh, you know, the true, other yeah. thing that always happens, whenever you're saying something that I disagree with, I always, you picked this up about 10 years ago, I always say, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah interesting. And, and Mel knows that interesting is code for, I think that's a load of shit. That's what interesting means. Hey, Cyber Sue, you were going to uh, tell us your highlight of the year. Let's get on to that. Then we're going to get on to Tara. Well, I will. And I guess I can't even begin to go further than managing to have a two-month holiday around Australia on my motorbike oh. during a pandemic. It has to be a highlight for me. And, you know, with a bunch like Sykes on Bikes, a group of mental health professionals, it was um, it was wonderful. And, you know, the timing for us couldn't have been better. We had no COVID on the whole trip until we went to the border to Victoria and, um, and met some amazing people along the way. Um, what I was inspired by was real grassroots uh, uh, initiatives for mental health in the outback, and some of the people we met, like we met um, Kate and Tick Everett, the parents of Dolly, who founded Dolly's Dream. We met um, Tonka and Mount We Isa. interviewed them. The, we yep. interviewed them um, maybe a month ago, two months ago, and um, you know they were they were amazing what they're doing. And um, this fellow Bill and his wife, who run a, they travel around Australia running a horseshoeing training school for jilleries and jackaroos but it's so much more than horseshoeing because they teach the, the, the young people about resilience and getting through life. Um, Bill himself he, he had a terrible experience when he was 20 where he accidentally uh, ran over one of his mates and his mate died and he'd kind of suppressed this and um, never spoken about it, found himself in a very, very dark place with the black dog and um, turned it around and used it to help other people to find their own resilience. And it was great for me just having the experience and opportunity to meet these people. It's interesting when you've got an activity that you teach people, it's almost a golden opportunity to introduce concepts like resilience and mental health and well-being and stuff like that. And you see it everywhere. I see it in the hospital. Um, physios are forever telling me, for example, because they spend hours each day, you know, walking patients, you know, doing their chest movements, doing all these things to keep people, you know, get people moving. And they get so much insight. And, you know, the other thing I found too, when, you know, on my sabbatical going around doing all the Indigenous health, you know, you'd go to things where the in- local Indigenous guys are teaching, you know, various skills, fishing and whatnot to the younger ones. And of course, the fishing ends up being about 10% of it, you know, odd skill here, do this, do that. And then the rest of it's talking about, you know, what it means to grow up and country and, and it's all stuff that's essentially resilient. So absolutely, um, what a fantastic yep. experience. And, absolutely. and it just yeah. strikes me too. So I went on sabbaticals, Spock's on sabbatical now. You took time off. Is everyone in Australia taking some time off during oh, COVID to they're not, sort of and reflect? They need to. I think, it's so, I think it's so important. And I see around me people are, you know, everyone's tired at this time of year at the best of times, and this year is just so much more accentuated. So we so have to be kind to ourselves and to each other right now. It's a tough time. Yeah. But we'll get there. Yeah, it's true. It. Yeah. It's true. There's sort of a sense that everything's over. It, yeah. it is, you know, it's a sense that it's still huge, you know, Omicron, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll get to a bit of COVID stuff later. But there's also the sense that it's sort of over and that everything's open up. They're talking about and a marinara too. You know, the mm. sun's shining. Mm. You can, don't have to wear a mask. Mm. It's, it's, it's sort of hard to walk that fine line at the moment between are we in a pandemic or not? We, we clearly are. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, to keep your mind focused. I was just thinking birds aren't real. Have you heard about that conspiracy theory, that anti-conspiracy conspiracy theory? <laughs> no. Have you guys? No. Anybody heard about that on the panel? Birds aren't real? Candace Maximus has. En- enlighten, enlighten us. Oh, look, I don't know the full details, but some guy got so jack of all the conspiracy theories that he started up this website called Birds Aren't Real and that birds are really drones and they've been planted there by CIA or something and apparently he got oh, people... Yeah, people he interviewed people who said, yes, we've put up the birds. They're not real birds. <laughs> They're actually drones. They're spying on <laughs> It's got all these hits and everybody believes it. And, uh, all that so cool what, stuff. Are our, what are our pillows filled with if it's not feathers? <gasps> drones. Uh, drone pillows. <laughs> drone, drone pillows. Oh, my goodness. Hey, let's go to Dr. Patient too because I'm pretty sure you were going to do something. Tell us a highlight as well. Have I got that right, DP? I, well, look, I've, I've, got, I've got two actually. The, the first one is was the fact that they just approved vaccines for 5 to 11s. So I'm going to be super chilled with that because um, it's been just one of those little worrying times about 
my little one and uh, making sure that that can get fixed. But I got a glimpse of something on Friday night and um, you, everyone knows that, that, that I, uh, I work with Sane and they've just moved into new offices at Melbourne Connect. But there is, there is a gallery that has opened up and two of my favourite words just got put together, science and gallery. And they've got their first exhibit opening on the 20th of January and we got like a five-minute glimpse of it and it's called Mental. And the, 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 the space that they have for something like 20 experimental projects that, have, that are all in the process of being set up. I just wanted to talk about one. If you, the, 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 you can get tickets now on, on the, online, I think, just due to COVID capacity, it's limited. We saw uh, it, it, it's, it's art and an, and an experiment. You go and you put a brainwave analyzer, they ask you to think of something. So people have thought of things like cheese or butterflies or my favorite parent's song takes a visualization in the brain of where that's actually being thought of and then they 3D print it. Wow. Wow. And <laughs> it was so you're not actually looking at a picture of, of, of a butterfly, but you're looking at the brain uh, where it fired up in the brain. So it looks like a little round nodule of like like Play-Doh or something like that. But then they print it out and they tag it and they're putting it on this rotating clothesline. So you, I was just looking at all these experimental prints. That is that incredible. Is just one of them. Of course, it was of course I'd refuse to do it in, in case they could actually tell what I was thinking about as well, <laughs> which, which could be a little bit embarrassing, certainly. But, uh, and so the, it's just, just farts. Yeah. It'll just be farts. Farts. There you go. <laughs> hey, where is it? Tell us again. You said it quickly. Melbourne Connect, did you say? Melbourne Connect. It's a new building. It's at uh, 700... Uh, Swanson Street in uh, in Melbourne, uh, yeah, Carlton, Melbourne, seven hundred Swanson Street. Oh yeah, Swanson Street Street. up towards the university. Yep, and it's um, and Sains in the office as well, and it's called the Science Gallery. Well, there is there is a section there. There is a gallery there, yep. literally called Science Gallery, and uh, this is just the first first exhibition called Mental. It's open from the twentieth of January until the eighteenth of June. You're just reminding and, me too. Because you know I've Get got a along. book called Mental, and um, and panel beat yes. uh, very kindly nominated uh, mine and Catherine's book. By the way, Catherine's texted me; she is coming on for her interview. Um, and uh, thank you, uh, panel beater, for that nom in uh, the Triple R Radiotherapy Awards a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't heard them yet, jump on board and have a listen. Hey. Um, I'm going, to, yeah, I'm going to rush through. We're going to go to some – thanks. Um, that is a fantastic tip, Dr. Patient. We are going to go to some announcements and come back and introduce you to Tara Gannon from uh, the Integrated Cancer Service to talk about Cancer Mind Care, the website for psychological access to cancer care. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. Tara Gannon, as um, actually you won't know because I haven't said this yet. I was thinking I said it in the intro. <laughs> Tara is a nutritionist, um, tra- a dietitian by uh, trade, but she's a project manager at uh, the uh, Western and Central Integrated Cancer service is it service or i can never remember you'd think i would because i work with them but i just think of them as wick mix and as i was saying earlier a bit of a heads up so i was involved in this project so uh there's a you know just so you know that uh, if i'm saying fantastic things about it it might be because i'm biased tara g'day hi thanks for having me it's good to see you how are you Wonderful, and I've only just realised since joining that this is your last uh, session, Steve. So what an honour it is! <laughs> oh, did you knew, did you know I'd quit Peter Mac? <laughs> how how could you tell? <laughs> <laughs> you've only you've only mentioned it a few times. So how did it slip my mind? I don't know. <laughs> it's like my boss said to me the other day. He asked me some question. I said, "Oh, look, my mind's a little bit checked out. I'm already in my head. I've already retired." And he said, "I noted that five years ago." <laughs> um, anyway, Tara. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got working in your current job as a project manager for Wickmix. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I think you've um, yeah explained my current role. So, yeah, definitely it's easiest to go with Wickmix for short. So, essentially my role is working on cancer service improvement projects. Um, so, across the western and central metro regions of Melbourne. So, um, hence working um, on a big project um, with Peter McKellen Cancer Centre. So um, myself, um, yeah, you mentioned in terms of background. So 
I'm qualified as a dietitian, so I've worked um, clinically for, um, well, in the healthcare um, sector for almost 10 years now. So um, I've worked across Melbourne, Sydney, and even abroad in the UK during my career, um, which has been wonderful, but did start in this project role about two and a half years ago. Um, I did a project management course, which really sparked my interest in it. And obviously combining that healthcare experience, um, decided I really wanted to make changes to improve that complex nature of the healthcare system as we know. So yeah, that's how I came to being here. And you've done a fantastic job. Let me say that up front. Hey, uh, I'm going to ask one question, then let the others all jump in, but I'm going to ask the obvious one. Tell us about cancer mind care. You know, basically what is it? Yeah, sure. So we'll start from scratch. So yeah, Cancer Mind Care is Australia's first one-stop shop, as you'd call it, um, for tailored mental health support for both people with cancer and also their support people as well. So um, we've been working on this project for the last year and excitingly we just launched on the 8th of November um, very recently. So essentially we've split um, the online platform up into four different portals. So the most obvious one is the people with cancer themselves. Then you've got the support people. So that could be the carers that are giving, you know, hands-on support to those people or it could be family, friends, etc. The third part is for the clinicians who are wanting to upskill in the cancer psychology area. And the fourth is for First Nations people as well. So acknowledging um, that group um, as well. So firstly, um, what we do is um, we have screening questions that are online. So basically people can go through and complete um, mental um, wellness questions and essentially get tailored advice and support according to what those results are. So it's all online. It's confidential. We don't collect any, you know, personal um, information um, and then, yeah, basically steer people in the direction of what support um, they may need at that particular point in time. Um, so with um, the cancer psychology experts at Peter McCallum Cancer Centre, we've um, written and developed content across 11 different areas of cancer psychology um, and then worked with um, people who have lived experience of cancer to also give, you know, their suggestions and tips for what helped them when they were going through it as well. So, yeah, we have lots on there. And before I forget to mention, the web address is cancermindcare.org.au. So Tara, and this is Cyber Sue here, and sounds like an absolutely wonderful. I love the fact it's a one-stop shop for everyone. That's awesome because um, so Thank much you. information gets so overwhelming for people. How do people actually find out? I mean, obviously, most of Australia, most of Victoria knows now because it's on Triple R. How do you promote it, like through for people who are actually who would benefit? Yeah, great question. And yeah, essentially, since. Since launch, that's what I've been um, doing. So anyone who'll listen to me, I'm trying to get the word out there um, so that we can actually get people utilising it. So obviously through, um, you know, word of mouth. So whether that's through the clinicians themselves at the health services, so recommending it to people. So we'll be doing visual things like posters and postcards. Um, we've had lots of email blasts going out um, to the clinicians from a consumer um, side of things. We've actually done a paid social media campaign, which is something never done before, but that's been wonderful. Um, yeah, just to get some essentially ads running through Facebook and Instagram so that they can hear from it, hear about it um, as well. And coming up as well um, this week, um, we will be chatting with Cancer Council Victoria because again, um, there's the 13, 11, 20 um, support phone lines. So people with cancer um, actually call them and, you know, ask for various supports. Um, and when it comes to obviously emotional concerns, um, they'll be able to steer people towards cancer mind care as well. So, yeah, lots of different avenues and, yeah, definitely something that will need to be done on an ongoing basis beyond the launch now. Training wheels? That's really, is my volume a little bit better now, gang? Yep. Good. Um, thank you for introducing us to your wonderful um, initiative, Tara. It sounds really important. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the sort of gaps that you've identified in the kind of cancer psychology space. Just from my own clinical experience, something that I've noticed is that the sense that patients 
sometimes aren't prepared very well for the reality of what their life is like post-cancer treatment. And, you know, I wonder if it's one of those things a bit like becoming a parent. There's only so much you can actually (laughs) prepare someone. It's just something that you have to experience. But I've seen some patients who've had, you know, quite disfiguring surgeries or, you know, surgeries and, and procedures that really save their lives but change their lives very, very dramatically and and they're sort of shocked at the end of it. And, you know, sometimes when someone has a cancer diagnosis, it's like, quick, let's do what we have to do to save them. And I don't know that people are really prepared for the reality of what that looks like. Are there other gaps that you've noticed? Yeah, absolutely. And um, because certainly since I've come into this project role, um, my first project was developing a head and neck cancer support group. So I've definitely, you know, can understand that, yeah, the disfiguring surgery and how overwhelming that is for people just to get through surgery and treatment and then to kind of stop and think, oh God, like, you know, obviously having remaining effects, um, whether it's side effects, but of course, all of the emotional things that come with it as well. So that's where this project did come about is that, um, you know, looking online, we realised that although there is obviously a huge plethora of mental health um, resources out there, finding them that are specific for people with cancer really, you know, wasn't out there. And um, certainly Dr. Doolittle can attest to this. We really wanted, um, you know, that one-stop shop approach. So rather than just saying, oh, here's, you know, another 20 or 30 websites that you can go to, we wanted to provide the content all in the one space, um, acknowledging, yeah, that people do feel really overwhelmed um, when trying to just, you know, navigate the system as such. And then, of course, you've got the layer of a COVID-19 pandemic on top of that. So you're kind of adding to, you know, already existing distress um, in this um, cohort as well. So um, that's kind of how, yeah, we got to developing um, this project and um, bringing together the project team as well. So, um, you know, waiting, waiting. Yes, Sorry. Go, oh, no, I was just going to say it's worth pointing out too that so there's all these modules like there's one on body image disturbance you know for people who have had surgery and then there's fatigue and there's insomnia and there's anxiety and there's depression and there's scansiety people who are phobic about scans and recurrence fear of cancer recurrence and we've done it all in a, in you know what we call what people call a stepped care manner so people get screened and if their level of distress is low then they do the online modules or if it's moderate online modules and if they're still not better then they can access psychologists and go on so the idea is you can do self-help first and you only go to the psychologist if you want to or if you need to um severe enough um spock you had a question i think i was going to ask tara how what the interaction has been with the oncologists and how sort of this sort of stuff is integrated into their their cancer treatments yeah absolutely and yeah that'll be part of the kind of promotion and implementation piece going forward you know Um, that particularly for, you know, psychology departments who, not surprisingly, again, have been inundated with referrals and then extensive waiting lists. So if, you know, the idea being, like Steve was saying, with the step care model, if you can have people that, you know, are more of a low distress and, yeah, may be able to be helped um, just by using cancer mind care, you can kind of save your service for then, you know, those really um, highly distressed people needing that one-on-one support as well. So, yeah, that will definitely be, you know, more of an ongoing piece that, yeah, through that word of mouth that you get um, the oncologists and, you know, the broader team, um, even Allied Health that Steve mentioned at the start of the program that we get them um, suggesting um, cancer mind care to people because, yeah, they might only want it in small amounts of information and there are times, as we know, that people are ready to access that support and times where maybe a little bit further down the track would be more helpful to them as well. Hey, Tara, thanks so much for getting up on a Sunday morning, taking time out from this beautiful <laughs> sunny day. It's about a million degrees outside, apparently only about 20, but I felt it was felt like a million after the cold winter we've had. Um, Tara Gannon from Wickmix, the Western and Central Integrated Cancer Service. Thanks, Tara. I really should know. I've been working in this area five years. Um, much appreciated coming on and tell us. Let's tell the website address one more time, cancermindcare.org.au. Is that right? Did I get it right? Yeah, wonderful. You got it. Hey, uh, thanks for coming in. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Just joining us is good friend of the show, good friend of mine, 
co-author of Mental um, with that uh, that good-looking psychiatrist whose name I always forget, mm. um, Catherine Devney. And Catherine <laughs> has done a project called Writing with Cancer Fest. I say g'day. G'day, Dev. Good morning, my darlings. Um, you didn't mention the really big news about mental that you can now get it. If you are in Beijing and you speak Chinese, there is a Chinese version of it, which has which has a centrefold of Steve in it, obviously. <laughs> so the Chinese uh, girls are just going off. It's a bit like we imagine when we go and do the tour, we'll get off the plane. It will be a bit like the Beatles landing. Isn't that right, Steve? I hope. Oh, why can't we do a book tour? So that's our book, Mental, that I was saying before, Dev, you missed it, but I was saying before our uh, panel beta um, uh, runs the uh, w- awards and we got nominated for, uh, I, forget, oh, I forget the category now. Oh, what was the category? Panel beta. Can we hear you? Are you on mic? No, we can't. Because we can't hear you, panel beta. I'm not sure why. Oh, his, uh, unmute panel beta for a sec. Anyway, we'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. We'll come back <laughs> to the question. Sorry. Steve, are you saying we got an award? No, we got nominated. We didn't win the category because there were better things than us. I, I'm with you, Dev. I don't believe there's was anything it, better than us. And in sorry, that's, was, it a, was it a Dinkum thing? Well, it was a radiotherapy award, so there was a conflict oh, of interest. Oh, sorry. Oh, look, I was imagining kind of money and the Governor-General and, um, you know, Government House. So I'll just – I was just about to Google kind of fancy shit. Don't worry about that. Uh, yeah, no, let's talk about me for a second and all of the amazing things that I've done because I'm incredible. Well, I didn't get to finish your intro. Right. No, no. Raconteur. Sorry, thank you, pardon. How many yeah. books have you written these days, Dev? You're up to about 12? Ten. 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 When's your Ten. latest one coming out? Because you've written a you've um, written a biography, haven't you? I've written. Well, it's not a biography. It's um it's a memoir, and so I don't mean to mum splain, which is what my kids call it. But um, uh, a biography, just for anyone who's listening, is basically a kind of a list of of your life, like what all happened. Whereas a memoir is looking at your life through a a, thir- a certain theme that kind of illuminates the. I don't know, the important things or the things you think are significant. And I think that if you are a memoir writer or if you're a memoir reader, every year, you know, you as a writer or you as, you know, can write something, a whole different perspective, even within the frame of the same theme, you know, because this year, you know, I wrote that book and I um, submitted it to them before COVID. And this year, my mum has died, my cat ran away, there's been COVID, there's been a million other things. So I could actually write the same memoir over and over again. But it comes out apparently March or something like that, so that will be good. I'm very excited about that, but I'm writing a new book now. So, look, the thing is with book launches, they're a bit like having uh, um, like a party for a lasagna you cooked a few years ago that you can barely remember. So I'm far more interested in what I'm doing today and, what you know, I'm going to the pool with my friend Jude um, and uh, for our wellness. So, anyway, enough of my intro. What do you want to know? Well, we have you on because, again, I have to give a conflict of interest alert that uh, I was part of the production for this particular project. But you did a series of six videos called Writing with Cancer for Peter Mack that we're just in the process of launching now. We've got it up on the website. I put the link on the Radiotherapy uh, Facebook page, Radiotherapy on Triple R. Tell us so. Um, and it's a great segue. It's great that you were talking about writing books because this is a you know perfect segue for this program. Mm. So tell us what are the... Um, what are these six videos writing with cancer? And then, then we'll ask you, you know, what the goal is. Well, the, 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 the six um, videos are basically tasks, exercises, writing blocks, and I guide you through. Therefore, anyone of any level, so you don't have to have cancer, be living with cancer, be a carer or a volunteer or a staff member to access them. Anyone can access them. So I gently guide you through. You can be any genre that you're interested in, any age, any level. They're looking at the kind of idea of journaling, medicinal, the medicinal experience of um, writing through the the frame and the lens of cancer, really. So um, a lot of people will come to, I write, you know, I run Gunners Writing Masterclass. I'm just about to put a whole lot of new dates up. I'll be doing Geelong, Ballarat, as well as, you know, Melbourne and my normal stuff, my retreats in Apollo Bay. But a lot of people come along and they... um, talk about writing in a performative sense and I say look we don't write to get paid or praised or win prizes (laughs) even though that sometimes does happen and that sometimes is enjoyable the the motivation to write is for the same reason that we exercise and we brush our teeth we write because it makes us feel better so there's lots and lots of studies and anecdotal evidence obviously but anecdotes are not data 
but the absence of evidence does not mean the evidence of abs um, of the absence of, of evidence, evidence is not evidence of absence. Yeah, exactly. Oh, maybe I got so, it wrong too. Anyway, you know what we mean. Well, we know what we know. Yeah, I think you all know. It's very likely that, that we could, like, measure all of this and quantify it, but nobody's really done it and it would be a bit hard. But so many of us know the medicinal experience and the, the cathartic um, experience of writing. So I think that it's a bit of a big jump for someone who doesn't normally write, particularly if they're going through something like cancer or caring for someone with cancer, to just suddenly jump to, oh, I think I might write something or writing might be helpful. And I think that when you're going through something like this, I don't think, I know I've had cancer, people are throwing all these ideas, meditation and yoga and green juices and all that kind of stuff. So I think what we've done is bridge the gap between, uh, 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 that might be a good idea and actually giving them a kind of a format to go through so that they're not alone and so that it kind of keeps them going. So, you know, I say that we write because um, it gives us pleasure and it makes us feel better. So these six um, videos, you'll be able to hop on and we'll do a warm-up. I'll give some prompt exercises. I might give you a task. Um, Ella Sexton, who is a psychologist at Peter Mac, will jump on. Steve will jump on. There'll be some myth-busting, some tips. And I'm really, really pleased and proud um, of them because I've run writing masterclasses at Peter Mac for the last few years and I haven't been able to during COVID, which has been very, very, very sad for me. But we've not been able to do it safely. Hopefully we'll be able to get do it again soon. So the idea was to put them online and there's a lot of advantages to put them online anyway. There's, you know, some people are not, close to Peter Mac. Some people have got social anxiety. Some people are too unwell. So it's it's great that they're accessible to everybody to be able to use them. And you can stop and start them as you please. You can just do one and they're not linear. You can jump in and do them. The, you know, the, the medicinal experience of writing and the catharsis that people get cannot be overstated. There were I'm not blowing smoke up my ass. Like I know I'm pretty amazing and possibly one of the greatest people in Australia. But the reality world, is the world. there were so many people who said that um, out of um, all of the kind of complimentary things that they dabbled in or, you know, got interested in to help them through their journey living with cancer, they found the writing and the writing classes the most valuable and I just am so thrilled about that. But I'm not surprised because I'm a writer simply because I get medicinal experience, you know, medicinal uh, experience from writing and I write in a medicinal way every single day when I'm delighted about something, when I'm frustrated about something, when I'm trying to nut something out, when I just need to get something out, I find writing the best and only way to do that. You know, studies show, and I know that you roll your eyes about this, but the studies show that putting words to feelings calms the amygdala down and the amygdala is the place in the brain that you feel emotional distress. Catherine, it's Cyber Sue here and it's such an honour to be on a show with the world's greatest person, by the way. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, clearly your focus is on people with cancer. What's the transferability of this? Um, you know, you talk about the medicinal value for people with other serious illnesses or other, I guess, life-threatening or, you know, life-significant events. Can they still get benefit yeah. from watching your videos and doing your Yeah, gig? to be honest, anybody can. It, like... Something like cancer or illness or crisis is something that affects us all. Like everyone is going to find themselves in it, but so many of us are going to find ourselves supporting people in it as well. So these videos are perfectly transferable. In saying that, if you are from the Motor Neuron Society or the Multiple Sclerosis Guild, I'd be more than happy to make some more specifically for you. So do have a look at them. They're wonderful for anyone. You don't need to be someone who, you know, has cancer. The way that they're skewed, they're talking about, they're addressed to people with cancer, but also people surrounding those people and I don't I, honestly I, I think that if you're interested in writing you're generally interested in humans so you could jump on and do them anyway and just have a compassionate loving kindness towards people in your life um, or people that you don't even know who are going through this huge upheaval uh, this you know this breakdown of their normal life this breakthrough in their normal life. 
So they're, they're, they're for everyone, but please employ me because I could really do us some money to pay for the Red Joe. Dev, um, I'm going to employ you to write a series called Retiring, Writing for Retirement, Retirees. Will that be me? Oh, look, yeah, I just think that kind of between your lawn bowls and going to the RSL, I'm not sure where you'll find time, Steve, but anyway. I was I... more thinking a Hugh Hefner-style <laughs> um, dressing gown and a pipe, and uh, I, that was more my vision. Hey, but we're going we're gonna to move on because we've got lots to cover. Um, Dev, Catherine Devaney, thank you so much for coming on. Can you please tell us your website so people can find um, you? It's very difficult at www.catherinedevney.com. You'll also find me on Instagram where I do my best work. Um, I'm also on Facebook a little bit and Twitter even less. But I'll be at the Coburg Pool from 12 to 6 today, so please pop over and say hello. And we've got link, a link to the uh, Peter Mac website where you can find those videos. We uh, only got that link up this week about three or four days ago, but I'm sure Dev will put it on her website. We'll share it everywhere and we'll do some more media around it as we launch it a bit more. Thanks for coming yeah. in on a Sunday morning. Dev. Um, Pleasure. Bye, guys. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. <laughs> Are we back on the air? We're all laughing because malpractice. I was just going through, you know, doing the, you know, usual in the station announcements production. Okay, we're going to come back and do this, this, this. And malpractice says, this is perfect. I can see your lips moving, but I can't hear a word of what you're saying. Have we got you on air now, panel beer? I think we're all good. Oh, sorry about that, mate. Um, we've got you. My we bad. can hear you now. Um, good to see you. Hey, uh, I'll just tell everyone who's here. So it's our last show for the year. Just um, reminding you all, we've got malpractice in the studio. We've got CyberSurf on the Zoomer, we've got Spark, um, Training Wheels, Doctor Patient, and we've got Panel Beater in the studio, but in a separate studio, hence we were having some slight technical details sorting it out. How are you feeling, man? Last show. Panel Beater? Oh, sorry. Too little. Um, yeah, I feel good. It's um, uh, just just getting over the end of the year line, um, I think. Hey, can you guys hear me? I'm yeah. looking at some strange faces in the... Okay. Oh, no, we can good. hear you really well. Um, yeah, just uh, hobbling to the end of the uh, end of the line. It sometimes um, feels like that in December, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, it's just yeah. such a busy time. Oh, yeah. my God. Hey, we're going to hear your highlight in a minute, but next highlight I think we've got is training wheels. Is that correct? Training, sure, are you there? sounds like a plan. Tell us yours because I know Spock's going to comment too. Now, Training Wheels was our medical student for many years, but now she's a junior doctor at a Melbourne hospital. And, of course, Spock, who will provide some commentary now, I'm hoping, is one of Melbourne's leading infectious disease specialists in paediatrics. He's at that um, uh, the children's hospital. Some people call it royal, but I'm an anti-royalist. Um, training Wheels, over to you. I just wanted to talk about my sort of, you know, we were – when Doolittle sends out his week, you know, his monthly thing of what do you want to talk about, the last show is often do you want to talk about highlights of the year? And for me, the story of the year was, you know, this pandemic has obviously been horrendous. So many people, you know, lots of suffering, lots of loss of life and livelihood and loneliness suffered in lockdowns and all, you know, so many negative things. But I think there is one, one very, very bright light in all of this, and that's the, the the amazing speed with which we've developed and rolled out vaccines worldwide. Um, what an amazing feat of medical science that I just had a look this morning. We've vaccinated. We've given 7.8 billion doses of a vaccine against a virus that we didn't even know existed two years ago. That is unbelievable. It really Unreal. is. It would be remiss of me not to mention that obviously there has been an inequitable distribution of vaccines worldwide, and that's a very sad reality that we, we need to rectify urgently as a global community. But in terms of the medical science, my God, we had this virus that emerged around two years ago. We, we got the genetic code in around January of... 2020 and then a year later we had multiple vaccine options and now we've vaccinated so many people it's unbelievable 
Do you remember? Do you remember when there was all that talk midway through the first year, 2020? You know about are we going to get the vaccines? And and you know Fauci kept saying, I reckon we'll have them by November. And I heard you know one of our Nobel Prize winners, Doty, saying the same. And you know there was all this debate and anxiety about how it was going to roll out. And now in Australia, we're what? I think we hit 93 or 94 percent of people have had one dose mm-hmm. in the whole of Australia now. And I I mean agree with you. Obviously, there's worldwide problems and there's issues around that, but it is pretty phenomenal. Hey, uh, Spock, have you got any updates on, you know, obviously train wheels and doctor patient mentioned that uh, youngies can now get the vaccine. What's the story? When does that start? Is, you know, what do you, what do you recommend as, as uh, well, early January, a big leader in this Early area? January, um, yeah, the program is going to be start, roll, uh, start rolling out and it's for five to 11 year olds. And look, uh, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of discussion about this because there's some ethical issues around the fact that kids are at those, that group um, are the ones who actually don't, some would argue, don't need it for themselves. I mean, there will be some direct benefits for 5 to 11-year-olds in that they won't get COVID, obviously, although mostly they don't get sick, fortunately. They'll be able to get to school, childcare, kinder and school, and that will be a, a direct benefit for sure. So that's a big one. But the really big benefit is for family members and for the rest of the community and to have you know a huge number of the you know better better than not just 94 percent of eligible adults but there'll be hopefully 94 percent of the population you know we're in the in the mid 90s of the whole population so that'll reduce transmission even more so so look i, I think parents should go out and immunize their kids from 5 to 11 some will be reticent and i'll under, i understand that risk of side effects is not uh, not an issue really the the risk of side effects across the board is low and it's certainly low in kids. So... Dr. Spock, so good it's, a, it's a really interesting point you bring up about the ethical issues. Are there other vaccines that we currently give out in the community that have got similar kind of ethical issues where you're giving a vaccine to somebody who probably won't get the illness as badly as somebody else who will get it really badly? Look, I, I guess rubella is a good example in that we give rubella... Um, I mean, it, we give it to, to all kids to really protect, you know, well, babies mm-hmm. back in the future. So women, women of childbearing age who, uh, who then if they have kids to try and prevent that, that's a great example mm-hmm. of it, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, and, th- and there are others. I mean, measles now, I think a lot of vaccines given now fall into that category in that the diseases are no longer that common. But if we drop off, um, you know, that we're protecting the whole community by kids having them, um, if we drop off that some of those diseases might re-emerge. So, yeah, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, it's it. You know, I mean, it's hard to think of analogies, but it always reminds me of things like malaria. Where you know, you've got to get rid of the the vector. You know, so if you've got malaria, you've got to get rid of the mosquitoes. You've got to get rid of the lakes. You've got to do these illnesses at all levels. If you're leaving a group in in society who is still passing an infection through them, it's at risk to everyone else. But then it is such a tricky ethical issue about how you balance those things up. Hey, we might come back to COVID a little bit, but I want to move on because I'm aware of the time, and we took a while to get uh, our, our technical stuff going. Hey, panel beater. You know, you do so much on this show. What's been your highlight? What do you reckon? Look, I wanted to do a non-COVID highlight, but I'm going to pick up on what Training Wheels was saying. I think the vaccination rollout, setting aside the delays and everything, I think it's been amazing that we've got from zero vaccination to where we've got to, and now with the 5 and 11s available, um, in such a short period of time. It's a massive public health exercise and I think really, really significant. And I put that in the context of all the drama that we see on our nightly news, you know, people putting up a kerfuffle. It's, it, is a, it, it is a minority that's making that noise and good on them, democracy and all that. Um, but um, it, it can distract from the fact that a huge proportion of us have got on board and we're trusting our doctors, tr- trusting our scientists, and I think that matters. Yeah, it's hard to underestimate, isn't it? Because, you know, it, in fact, underestimate's not the right word. It's hard to evaluate 
the degree of how this has gone out because, you know, most of our media, especially our commercial media, makes so much money out of controversy and fear and, and drama. You know, they can't just get on and report the news because we'll all turn off. You know, we get excited by it. Yet, at the, by the same token, you know, when you think of, you know, there was a whole lot of big experts, remember, mid-2020 saying it's nonsense that we're going to have a vaccine. We can't be planning a vaccine. You know, it's just the science is too much. It'll take 10 years. You know, it, it, it really is, you know, it, it, they really are great highlights to bring up. Um, you know what, though? We are going to, I think, team, we should move into a few thank yous because it's our last show for the year and we've only got four minutes left. So I'm going to cut the COVID out. I'm sorry. We had enough COVIDing. I reckon we'll do a bit of thank yous and I'm going to call on you also, Panel Beta, for this and um, malpractice because uh, no doubt we don't want to, you know, do all the usual thank yous for Triple R and our audience. So I'll begin with the same ones that the other shows have been doing the last couple of weeks. Obviously, Triple R, the uh, station, is just an amazing station to be part of, an amazing station to listen to, an amazing station to subscribe to. And uh, Radiotherapy gets enormous support from, especially, obviously, from um, Beck, Dave and Elizabeth, mm-hmm. the uh, the key people. Elizabeth does all of the um, organising, all the interviews, supports Breakfasters, sends us probably 20 media releases a week, I would mm-hmm. imagine, with interview opportunities. Beck is always on the end of the phone for us whenever we need any advice and gives us incredible feedback. You know, because we all do this as complete damn novices and over the years, you know, they give us incredible, you know, just feedback on how we should do things and what we should do and, you know, how to present ourselves on air and all that sort of stuff. So massive thank you to them. I might – I've got a whole list of everyone, I, but I, you go next, I, Rob. I, the listeners too. I mean, we get such amazing feedback and you can't discount the narcissistic fuel <laughs> that we get when someone says, love the show on like uh, the messages during uh, Radiothon or someone writes into our Facebook page and says, look, really enjoyed that interview or have you checked out that reference or something like that. And that feedback is really important. You might think, oh, yeah, you know, you guys are stars. <laughs> No one thinks that. But, you know, just, just the one-to-one feedback. Yeah, well, of yeah, course you don't. Um, that is really, really great. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody. And we learned that the average age of our listeners is round about 50. Is that right? Yeah, and it's about – yeah, and I looked at some other figures too. Yeah, it's about – yeah, anyway, we don't need to go into the – hey, I want um, – we've got to mention our podcast, and I reckon you'll know most about in Panel Beta. It's Max. Can you tell us, you know, give us a – you know, just give the listeners a heads up of how much work that involves, you know, putting out the podcast every damn week. Yep. Yep, yeah, yep, yep. real champion effort, Max. And I hope you're listening. You will be because <laughs> you have to. <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> but um, with uh, with the rhythm of a well-hit drum, he does it every week, week in, week out. And we too often forget to um, acknowledge his work. Uh, he has to set a bit aside to come in the station or get the file of the show, edit it up and make sure it gets released into people's podcasts. Um, and it's great to know that people are listening to the show uh, in podcast format. And that's a large credit to the quality of Max's work. Thank you, Max. Thanks, Round Max. of applause. Hey, um, can we also say thank you to Marinara and Einstein and Gogo, our, na- our direct neighbours on a Sunday morning. So much fun being part of them. And, of course, you know, Tim Thorpe and uh, Edith as our less direct neighbours. Um, you know, I, I, I mainly listen Tim. to Tim, of course, coming in because I, I leave home at 8 o'clock to, yeah. from uh, Rye to drive up here. So I love listening to those guys. Thank you very much. Rob's already mentioned the audience. Double thanks, of course, to everyone who's subscribed. Thanks. Can I give a thanks to my team um, too, especially CyberSue, Dr. Moto, who couldn't make it today, Dr. Patient, Panel Beta, Training Wheel, Spock. You guys are fantastic. Give me amazing support. Um, all our guests this year, of course, you know, we've had so many guests throughout the whole show. We often have, you know, somewhere between one and two or three guests each week on the different shows. It's been incredible. Um, I want to, of course, do a special thanks to everyone for putting up with me and for, um, of course, Mel for inviting me. Hi. This is Panel Beta. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page.